Hello, my lovelies. Welcome back to another episode of Did You Read the Book, a comparative podcast where movie buffs and bookworms come together to talk about stories and their adaptations that we love, hate, or love to hate. I am your host, Aaron Palmer, and yet again, you guessed it, I'm back with my lovely uh, Julie. Hello, Miss Julie. Hello. I, got, I know. Disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> Never. <laughs> you should invite more people if it's so Well, bad. okay. Uh, for all y'all's <laughs> listening, uh, if you don't come find me, I will keep bugging Julie. So maybe I'm doing a plea for Julie's sake. If anybody else <laughs> wants to be on, come find me. <laughs> Otherwise, Julie, you are my go-to. I mean, <laughs> I'll be on whenever, like I said, to just like, you know, you know, nerd out or nerd rage about anything. So... <laughs> Well, Just perfect. give me an excuse and I'll be here, but you can't complain about me. Oh, no, I never <laughs> do. I am so glad you're not sick of me yet. So, <laughs> bless you. <laughs> never. Never. Awesome. Well, we're back for yet another round. Uh, what are we talking about today, Miss Julie? Today, we are talking about the Stephen King novella, The Mist, first Ooh. published in 1980 in a horror anthology called The Dark Forces, which had a whole bunch of different authors, but then he edited it and re-released it in his own collection in 1985 nice uh, yes awesome didn't actually know all the back end of that i just knew the yep. 1980 bit so awesome way to way to do your research julie oh yeah it's a short story uh, only 120 pages so. i know real short real fast but so sweet mm-hmm. um and then on the flippity flop we've got the film adaptation which is also called the mist which was directed by frank darabont in 2007 and featuring some lovely folks such as thomas jane laurie holden marcia gay harden alexa davalos toby jones sam widower and a lot a lot, lot, lot of other really stellar cast. Um, those are just like my fave highlights that I want to chat about. But yeah, solid casting. And okay, the end. We're done. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, before we get started, y'all know the drill. Spoilers. We're going to talk about this a lot. Um, and you know, the book came out in 1980. The movie came out in 2007. I feel like there's been enough time, but whatever. If you don't want to hear it, hit that pause, go do those things, and come back. Uh, before we get started, Julie, pro source, pro adaptation. Mm, I've been like asking myself this question all week I since we've watched the movie. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very curious to know your thoughts on this. I think I'm like, you know, a deadlock for 50 50, but. Ooh. I might just eke it out on the side of the movie. <gasps> Ooh, okay. Okay, you want to give a smidge of a teaser as to why, or do you want to hold off? The Come ending. The ending. Okay, yep, yeah. that right there. We need. <laughs> we will not say any more than that. Um, yep. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, you know what? Actually, I'm pretty much the same. Like, mm-hmm. it's really hard to pick, but I think, again, now that you've mentioned the ending of the film, yeah. <laughs> hands down it's we'll get there uh yeah excellent excellent well this is actually i think a first well maybe not a first for us but it's rare that we like the film more than the book usually i think whenever i'm on i tend to pick the adaptation sometimes uh however i will say yeah for your overall podcast yeah tends to tends to come out ahead usually yeah i know it's like that's like how i actually thought this whole podcast was going to start that was oh it's always going to be the book because everybody always says oh the book's always better but actually Mm. not always uh all right well let's get into it could you please give us a, a synopsis of the book please Yes, I'll give a short synopsis because it's a short book. Yes. Uh, 
Following a massive storm in Maine, David Drayton, his son Billy, and their neighbor Norton head into town for much-needed supplies while their electricity is out. While getting groceries, a strange mist swallows the store and surrounding town, with nothing but screams, earth-shattering quakes, and then silence to indicate the world has changed outside. But as the survivors slowly discover the monsters that exist within the mist, it's the people inside the store that may prove to be more dangerous. Ooh. yes <laughs> yes 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 so good everybody is like really up their synopsis game and i'm here for it <laughs> love it i love it i love it awesome yeah dan rice okay. bar we gotta meet it i know god bless dan <laughs> i know he is stellar writer and now i find out all of my friends are stellar writers who knew <laughs> all right well we're gonna get into it so We already talked about there's a close, close tie on which kind of direction we were leaning. So what about the book kind of stood out to you? And just like, tell me your thoughts. Well, like uh, most things that stand out with a book versus a a, um, movie or a TV show adaptation is that you can really get into characters' heads. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in this case, we can really get into the main character, David Drayton's head, Mm -hmm. uh, and kind of see how he is in a normal situation, which is, or I should say, a normal stressful situation. Yeah, not normal, but yes. (laughs) A terrible storm is coming through Maine, but, you know, a storm is within the realm of normal. So Mm -hmm. he just has to worry about, you know, know, trees crashing through his windows, um, his job getting delayed due to that, Mm -hmm. uh, thinking of insurance and repairs and keeping his kids safe from, you know, electrical wires that are on the ground. Yeah. We can see how he reacts to that. But since we are in his head, we can slowly see how he reacts differently to the supernatural uh, stressful situation that comes in the form of monsters in the mist. Yeah, um, yeah, and kind of get like a, an in close look at uh, human nature through one perspective, at mm-hmm. least. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty fascinating to see, kind of like you're saying, like the clockwork of what's going on behind the scenes. It is from one pers- perspective, but at the same time, it's really great description from that one person because you know Stephen King's pretty solid on his writing mm-hmm. for those who don't know uh <laughs> yeah it's it is really crazy because it, it, it does start out where it seems like oh this is like a weird storm that just came in out of nowhere weird and they kind of brush it off but even in the very beginning of the book there is some kind of edginess because he says the fog just didn't look quite right like the color was weird and it was like it was too thick and it was coming in a direction that it normally doesn't come in. So like the wife was kind of confused and he started kind of questioning it, but they kept kind of brushing off. Like it's just, it's just fog. It's just fog. And then, you know, obviously <laughs> it's not just fog. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, yeah, very, very interesting kind of mm, visual on what do normal people do in what they think is a normal situation. And then it turns into a very much not normal and stressful and su- supernatural situation. And it's like, what will people do in that? And I feel like this is kind of a snapshot of just human nature when shit hits the fan. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrifying. It's like, it's it's quite a, a rational thing to do. You see something that is out of your realm of understanding or that is something that shouldn't be the way it is, mm-hmm. but you try to find a way to explain it. Right. Um, you just so kind of dismiss stop. it. You're like, oh, it's fine. Don't yeah, worry so about you it. you stop freaking out about it. It's like, you know, you see mist that, or fog in this case, that shouldn't be behaving the way you see it behaving. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's just 
as you as far as you know just fog right so why bother worry about it it's strange but you can come up with ideas that you know might sound plausible as to why it's doing this thing here like you know a really strong storm came in who knows you know what atmospheric changes there are Mm -hmm. who can really say i find it uh funny and not funny at the same time how the wife is clearly like perturbed by the fog and he's just like oh no it's it's this thing and that thing and you know it's totally nothing to worry about but in his head we can see that still something's wrong it's still something weird but i'm gonna dismiss your concerns (laughs) because it's my job to it's my job you calm (laughs) yeah he's the man of the house yeah uh yeah it is interesting because the wife is like very visibly physically upset about it she's stressed and she's like it's just there's something wrong and he's you know trying to be the man i I guess if you will and it's like oh no it's fine don't worry about it you're overthinking it but he also is you're right he is also questioning it um and then obviously it gets sidetracked by their very um cranky neighbor and then it's like oh yeah everything's fine we're gonna go into town and then you know shit hits the fan Mm -hmm. and it gets real crazy but yeah it's just like that that kind of unsettle is really from the very beginning of the book. And it follows um, the main character until they get to the store. And then it actually turns out, yeah, it isn't good. Mm-hmm. And it's, God, it's such good tension. Such good tension. I love yeah. it. It's like I, he also exhibits behavior that he accuses others of in a negative way later on in the books. Oh, yeah. But, but the thing that makes him different is, is his ability to adapt to changes, whereas they don't. Mm-hmm. So in this case, you know, the wife sees something strange and he's like, you know, silly woman, like, you know, you know <laughs> concern for something silly. But inside he's like, oh, it is kind of weird. I don't know. It's unsettlingly mm-hmm. weird, but can't let that show. Or... Yeah. um him trying to logically explain away the fog and and everything about it is similar to when his neighbor Norton is trying to explain away the mist to other people inside later. the store yeah. later on, which he gets mad at him for, though he yep. exhibited the same behavior earlier. Or strange mist, ooh, freaky, but hey, there's things to get done, you know, let's go into the store and get supplies, let's, you know, tear down this tree, chop up this tree, you know, get that taken care of, just a mm-hmm. list of things he can do. Whereas in the store later when they have the people trying to take care of the generator, he's like, these are guys who are freaked out, but they have a problem that they can fix, so they're going to do it. And it's like, you had that exact same attitude earlier, and now you're upset about others having. Reasonably so, but... good point. (laughs) So it just goes to show that these behaviors that we'll talk about later that are exhibited by other people, he also exhibits just to different degrees Mm -hmm. in different situations. So it just yeah. kind of goes to show the capacity for all of this behavior in almost all of us. In everybody, yeah. yeah. And it's like the reason that his kind of mentality shifts and he starts accusing people of like, you're not listening to me, is because he thinks that he heard something outside the garage where the generator is that he's like, it just sounded weird and it was off-putting. And so then I was like, oh, were you in the dark alone? Are you just being heebie-jeebies about it? And so no one believed him. So I think it's like that's that's the kind of I think key start point is that at the beginning when there's just the mist, he nothing has really happened yet. It's just this weird thing in the back of your mind, but you dismiss it. But then when he once he goes into the room where the generator is and hears that noise, he's convinced that something's happening and nobody else has experienced this with him yet. So they're in the same kind of headspace that he was in the beginning of the book where Nothing had happened to make him think otherwise, you know. So it's like they're they're at different pathways, but the same kind of trajectory mm-hmm. of of trying to cope with what's yeah. going on. 
Well, yeah. uh, something has happened, though. Like, to kind of go along narratively, like, you know, um, the main character, his little boy, who's like five years old, Billy, and their neighbor, Norton, go into town. They go into a grocery store. And while they're in the store, the mist comes and envelopes the store. However, before the mist comes, someone comes running into the store and says, you know, uh, something's in the oh, mist, you know, something, yeah. you know, drag someone into the mist. Um, and yeah, that's true. So that happens. And when the mist envelopes the store, an earthquake happens. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So I lied. They're just in denial. <laughs> yeah, so bizarre things are happening, but no one, besides the guy who came in screaming, no one's seen anything yet. This is true. And, and there is just some hearing. truth to yeah. seeing is believing, you know, and mm-hmm. and modern day pics or it didn't happen. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's just, oh, it's such good tension. Mm-hmm. Like the entire thing is just bated breath. And I love it. I love it. I love it. It's very, very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the, the terrifying thing about the mist is not the monsters it brings with it, is that you can't see anything. Uh-huh. And sight yeah. is like our biggest sense that we rely upon. Mm-hmm. You take that away, you, your fear just ramps up. Right, right. It really leaves you pretty secluded. Um, and that is a genius kind of fear drive or stress drive in a book. Like I was just thinking another kind of examples like Bird Box. Mm-hmm. Is another kind of example where it's like the, you take all of the vision away because it's literally going to, you know, you'll die otherwise. And then it really hypes up that tension. And it's, oh, it's so good. But yeah, it's because it's you don't think of Mist as being, oh, I don't until this movie or book. Uh, I didn't think of Mist as being a creepy thing. It's like, oh, it's really pretty and ethereal. But then when you get to the point where it's so thick, you can't see anything. And then crazy stuff starts like coming out of the mist and taking people away. You're like, okay, now it's really creepy and I don't like it. Yeah. (laughs) I don't like it. Especially since this mist is being described, like, as you said, bizarre. It's like, it's very Mm -hmm. white. Um, When it comes to the store later, the, uh, the main character describes it as kind of having a, a bizarre smell. Yeah, he says like too. acrid is yeah. the description. And he says that a lot, which is like such a very, very distinct smell description, mm. like acrid smell. Yeah. And I think he also described like a, a greasy feeling when he walks out into it too. Uh, so this yeah. is clearly not just fog, but a true mist. It's it's a, it's a quality in and of itself mm-hmm. um, that we just don't know what it's made of, but that it can host these creatures that exist within it yeah i'm curious of what your thoughts of what you think the mist is because you've read a lot more stephen king than i have and i know that he's woven a lot of his kind of universe or universes Mm -hmm. into other storylines so in my head i was thinking that maybe it's like the actual atmosphere of where these creatures came from and Mm -hmm. so that's why it smells different because it, it really is like their atmosphere coming into ours and maybe it's reacting with our atmosphere or maybe it's taking over our atmosphere but it's obviously still livable for both humans and these creatures but i'm curious of what your thoughts are on what you think the mist is i don't know i uh i definitely think it's like a, a different dimension kind of thing in the book it's heavily hinted at that there's like you know a secret military a quote-unquote secret uh military mm-hmm. base nearby uh with a you know top secret project called the arrowhead project no mm-hmm. one knows for sure what it is but there are a lot of theories in town many many small town mm-hmm. theories <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and like t- talks about how they're you know messing around with you know atoms and particles and uh when the little boy is like you know everything's made of atoms like you know Different atoms. Different atoms. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very specific. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, uh, I think it was 
kind of hinging a lot on the fear of like nuclear panic because it was like you know 1980s you know Mm -hmm. cold war and all that stuff yeah and kind of just talking about anything weird that could possibly happen with them so you know people run wild with theories like gojira Uh, yeah (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah and and other stephen king works like with the dark tower there's rumors that it could be what's called a thinny which is like what it sounds like a thin spot between dimensions where things can possibly pass through. Mm-hmm. So possibly this Arrowhead project was fucking around with a thinny, uh, mm. which is is of course in Maine. That's where Stephen King is. Of course, uh, <laughs> yeah. Everything's in Maine. Everything Everything's bad happens in Maine. In Maine. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen King drinking Maine. If it takes place in Maine, you take a shot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so there is that possibility of like other Stephen King. Uh, tie-ins another tie-in that i was kind of getting a vibe in is that uh dave david or and or his son could Mm -hmm. possibly have the shining or elements of it because he gets these like you know flashes of insight um throughout the story um Mm -hmm. that kind of give him that kind of lead him to uh good outcomes like uh you know in the beginning when the storm is happening he gets a vision of his wife and son being harmed in the living room by a tree coming through the glass and so he gets them out of there and then come the next morning the tree has come through the glass it's there yeah yeah, that's a good point that thought was validated uh later on in the grocery store he kind of gets you know portents of doom as things Mm -hmm. happen which you can you know you know wave away as like oh yeah logically you'd be pretty Mm -hmm. scared or think something bad might happen but you know in the stephen king universe it can kind of go into that vibe and the kid has some like some moments of insight as well for, for things that are happening that he's being shielded from from other people so, you know, some other elements of Stephen King stuff might be there. There mm-hmm. are a few more in the movie, which we'll talk about. But oh, as far yes. as the book goes, that's kind of what I picked up on. Okay. Yeah. And I have I need to do some more Stephen King reading, much to my mother's chagrin, because hi to my mom. Stephen King is her all-time favorite author. Uh, but yeah, it's... It yeah, there's a, it's very interesting how he's woven a lot of his work over the years into others. And if you haven't read a lot of his work, you don't need to know that for the stories to make sense. But if you have read his work, it's very cool to come like, oh my god, I see where this is connecting. It's very cool. I like learning little like Easter eggs like that from his work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just ooh, it's such a creepy and clever concept. And it is so short. That's the thing is like so much happens so quickly, but it didn't feel rushed. It didn't feel like there wasn't enough information. Like I would have loved to have it be a full fleshed book because then you could get into the kind of nitty gritty. But it was just so succinctly put together that it was still really solid and it didn't, didn't have to be, you know, thousands of pages long. Yeah. It was stellar. Just yeah, because like classic Stephen King, you think, you know, oh, horror genre it's -hmm. just about like you know monsters in the grocery store but also true to stephen king it's never just about the monsters Mm -hmm. it's about the people who are put in difficult situations and what they do (laughs) it doesn't really matter in terms of the story where the mist comes from where the monsters come from what project arrowhead is Mm -hmm. what matters is how the people inside the store are reacting to it and that's where the large focus of the story is on and it's absolutely 10 times more terrifying than the monsters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh like uh, monsters are monsters. They yeah. don't seem to be sentient. You know, they they don't seem to be evil. They're mm-hmm. just, you know, creatures. Uh, you, mm-hmm. just, you stay out of their way, you're going to be fine. Uh, yeah. Not so much the people. 
I know. It's absolutely terrifying because I think one of the crazier scenes is um, like when they first start to see things actually come out of the mist, like really see it. It's at night, the first night they're in the market. And it's like these crazy big bug things that maybe they're flies or something in that of that nature, but they're gigantic and they're like attracted to the light and then because they're attracted to the light then other creatures are attracted to them who are attracted to the light so then you start seeing a lot more animals like they're just eating flies but they're gigantic it's so it's like they're just doing their kind of animalistic thing and the people are the ones that are really (laughs) the bigger issue and it just it's it's wild it's wild to just watch that dynamic go down and then you start to see um what's her face mrs carmody what's her name Carmody, yeah. Let's talk about Miss Carmody. <laughs> what are your What are your oh, thoughts on that you, character? You mean the witch? <laughs> the witch? Yes. Oh my god. Yeah. No. The scariest thing in the entire story. <laughs> so we we first hear about Mrs. Carmody before we see her, or you know, you know, see her in the book as kind of like this old woman who owns an antique shop, I believe. Mm, yeah, um, something like that. Kind of a weird town yeah. little shop. Yeah. And he kind of is very dismissive of her and his wife's attention to her. Like, his wife, he describes as usually being, like, you know, a pretty, like, you know, straightforward and logical woman, but can sometimes be taken by flights of fancy when listening to Mrs. Carmody and all well, her, like, doomsayings. She's a doomsayings. lady, so yeah. we uh, just go off on the whimsy. We can't help but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And which is, like, you know, just gives whole levels of insight into, like the characters and his react and his you know attitude towards women but anyway yeah we'll talk about that later yeah (laughs) (laughs) i I find it to be an overarching thing in in stephen king's work so it might not be the character so much as stephen king yeah that's also very very true yeah (laughs) (laughs) but mrs carmody is like this old woman uh who isn't described in a very flattering way uh like no very old very wrinkled uh God, the audiobook, her voice, she's like, oh, yeah, stereotypical old lady, evil old lady. You're going to die out there. You're going to die out there. Uh, It's classic. Expiation. Expiation. Uh, (laughs) Oh, Oh, yeah, we'll get there. (laughs) Who, when the mist comes, like, declares it as, like, you know, God's wrath upon the world and Uh how they all must, you know, bow down to God and eventually, like, you know, offer up a blood sacrifice blood atonement to god uh mm, to make the to mist go away yeah, yeah. Uh, you know the use yeah like, expiation <laughs> expiation and as you know time goes on you know she gets kind of like crazier and crazier like she's looking more skull like her hair is getting more wild mm. uh and she's getting more shrill and uh much her her talking and her scripture talk it's darker and darker like and it almost becomes like a stereotypical uh visually and metaphorical witch character mm-hmm. in the in the book and just like yeah. the, the thought of her is terrifying it <laughs> and is of what she's going to do and those that begin to follow her of what they're going to do yes you know, it's pretty clear they're aiming to kill somebody. They keep shouting about, you know, blood sacrifice. We need sacrifice a sacrifice. An expiation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, slowly getting more and more people in the store to follow her, even including, most terrifyingly, a butcher who kind of has yeah. a blank look in his eyes. And it's like, oh, God, what's what's he going to do? That is terrifying. He knows to how to about. literally, literally butcher, butcher people. Someone. Yeah. 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 It's, um... Yeah, it's it's very cultish, very like overly zealotry religious kind of vibes that, you know, when people panic 
and don't know what to do, they will turn to whatever will make them feel better. And as time goes on, she starts to sound a lot more sensical rather than nonsensical, which everyone in the beginning is like, you're crazy. Stop talking. And nobody really kind of pays her any mind. And then as time goes on, she starts to kind of gather followers and it gets real scary real fast it goes from like one person to four people to 12 people and it's like oh my god it's so scary and it's like we're talking in a matter of like what two days like mm-hmm. it's not that much time yeah I, was like, <laughs> it's, I think it's less about what makes the most sense and what offers the best solution like right. she's offering a solution we don't know if it'll it's not work a great or not. one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but she's offering something rather than just like we'll just sit here and see what happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> like she eventually calls for the sacrifice of like you know uh, David's son Billy. Yeah, uh, and who doesn't um, want to sacrifice a five year old? <laughs> yeah, and Amanda, the, a woman he uh, meets in the store, who's like helping to take care of Billy at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, like demands their sacrifice, and it's like oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, of course, Wowzers. a small child, like the worst possible person you can pick as far as, you know, moral ethics go. <laughs> right, yeah. right. That's what's so crazy is that, it, you know, in the beginning, you think maybe she's just got a vendetta against people and she's just, you know, kind of cr- cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs a little bit and then is also using this to her advantage. But then it's like a five-year-old. What could a five-year-old have possibly done mm-hmm. to like warrant that? So it's just – it really is just the true zealotry kind of taking over of she really believes that that is the way to fix it, mm-hmm. which is messed up. Well, it is <laughs> It is also a little bit of the enemy side. Like um, she knows that David and Amanda, the woman, are having sex uh, yeah, yeah. What they, is that? They're having like you know, uh, you know, you know, in a foxhole, you know, stressed out beyond their wildest yeah. imaginations, like you know, stress re- reducing sex, um, mm-hmm. which you can feel whatever you want to feel about that. But anyway, um, yeah, Miss Carmody knows about that and does not mm-hmm. like it because it's not with no, because it's improper. And they're it's both married. Each they're of both them are both married, so that is yep. an issue. Yeah, uh, and so she is very much not a fan of that. And, and But she doesn't pick the son as her sacrifice until their group is trying to leave the store and are thus yeah. enemies because they're trying to get outside of her influence. And that's right. when she declares the son and the whore, too, and the is whore! what she says. Yeah. As you do. Yeah. Yeah. Because reasons. Yeah. yeah. Batshit crazy. Yeah. It's just holy cow her character is like she's like the umbrage of this book (laughs) like you love to hate her like she is so psycho and so scary but so well written like it's she she is truly more terrifying than anything outside the store because like i said everything out of the store is not sentient they don't have motives they Mm -hmm. can't be reasoned or bargained with you just have to do your best to avoid them her she can't be reasoned or bargained with either for an entirely Absolute agenda. different reason. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolute agenda. And it's batshit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Yeah. And it's just scary to see how in the beginning everyone's like, oh, she's just like a cuckoo little lady. Pay her no mind. And they're like not having it. And then as time goes on, they're like, I don't know. She's uh, she's starting to make some sense, guys. And the, the fact that people like follow that and don't question it and it gets more and more riled up it's just like the mob mentality is just oh my god it's well, so she, scary she's not the only one people are following though oh that's true yes. that's true in the very yeah. beginning um there's norton 
who is Mm -hmm. David's neighbor, and they've had a contentious relationship, like, you know, property disputes. Norton isn't a quote-unquote local. He's someone who spends the summers in town, et cetera. Didn't he sue him or attempt to sue him? It was like, well, there like a lawsuit or something? it was a property dispute thing, and so they were in court over that, and it got found in uh, David's favor, which he was salty about. You know, he said, you only won because you were local. But, you know, the storm happens, and, you know, a tree on Norton's property damages... You know, David's very fancy car. boathouse. <laughs> well, his boathouse, but then it falls on the neighbor's car, too. Uh, so they're commiserating about that. And, you know, they're kind of seeing, like, you know, less salty sides of each other. It's like, yeah, we're in special circumstances. We can get along, I guess. Hey, can you give me mm-hmm. a ride into town, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. when they are in the grocery store, and it's like they even get to a spot where um, the sun you know, just grabs Norton's hand to cross the parking lot and, you know. That's really sweet. Norton, like, lets it happen. He even smiles, like, yeah. you know, oh, like, you know. And Dave's like, hey, maybe he's not, you know, such a son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of yeah. attitude. Maybe we don't need to hate him right away. Yeah. <laughs> and then they get into the store, cue mist, you know, sounds, earthquake, whatnot. Uh, and then, you know, the whole tentacle monster in the generator room. Yeah. Um, and they're like, okay. We have to tell the people in the store, but we can't just say it and freak everyone the fuck out. We have to we slowly integrate this. <laughs> Norton, because he's a lawyer, he'll mm-hmm. know how to present things to people in such in, in the best way to get them to not freak out. But when they yeah. go to him, he does not want to hear it. Mm-mm. He would rather believe that this is all a cruel, malicious prank that the locals yeah. are pulling on him than that there's anything in the mist, despite whatever, you know, is has happened already which is yeah, he's strange mist earthquake and people coming in saying there's stuff in the mist and people who have left and have not and come back not come back yeah. yeah he absolutely will not entertain the idea he won't even go in the back room to look at the tentacle that they have that's absolutely crazy They're like refuses. we have proof and then he's like yeah. oh i'm not gonna go give you the satisfaction of being the schmuck that goes in the back room mm-hmm. to see the like rubber chicken thing you've got to yeah. try and convince me that it's real like mm-hmm. he would was adamant which is like dude where is this coming from yeah. like <laughs> and then after you know they eventually spill the beans to the whole store uh, norton himself starts to gain a faction of people who are like you know there's nothing out there this is just some strange goings on you know this and mm-hmm. people are freaking out for no reason and then you've got mrs carmody in the corner shrieking about death You'll and die out God's wrath and blah 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 <laughs> as uh, you do <laughs> and so eventually norton and his group are start to leave the store and uh drayton david drayton and uh you know a few others are like begging them not to go like you mm. don't know what's out there you're going to die and mrs mm. carmy back going yes you're all going to die. like shut you're up gonna die out there <laughs> uh, <laughs> so as they leave he uh, asks norton to take a, a clothesline with them yeah to, to s- just make sure they get yeah. far enough to yeah. see if they can get at least 300 feet away from the door and uh, they don't <laughs> Like they, yeah, well, he refuses to take the line. He's yeah. like, I'm not playing into your weird-ass fantasy. And then this other guy in the group's like, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. I don't see the I don't see the problem with it. And then, yeah, yeah it does not. But as well. they're leaving, like, uh, David gets the sense that Norton desperately wants to believe that nothing is wrong. He but he can – he knows, like, he can see it in his face that there's, like, a desperation to his face for, it to, for that to be true. He even yeah. refers to them as flat earthers, which I think is a very apt description. I know. That yeah. was amazing. People who I are know. just willing to deny whatever evidence is available to them to embrace, quote unquote, the truth as they know it. Because mm-hmm. they know it even if all logic and evidence 
like, screams that that is not the case. Right. It's easier to believe something else rather mm -hmm. than the actual scary fact. So you rationalize it a different way. Yeah. So then uh, yeah. You, they go out there and, you know, the the clothesline is going, 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 and it starts to get, like, ripped out of their hands. Just, yeah. like, you know, shooting out of their hands and uh, eventually stops. And then they pull it back and pull, 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 and eventually it just becomes, like, bloody Blood. and dripping with gore. Yeah. yeah. To kind of indicate, yeah, they're dead. That so, could have gone better. <laughs> so once they've had, like, you know, the Norton who is, like, presenting himself as extremely logical and presenting things mm -hmm. in a normal way, why wouldn't the one who said you're who has offers another explanation this is god's wrath if you go out there you're going to die oh look they went so out far, there and they died it's happened yeah exactly yeah and, i mean to be fair even david drayton has said you will die out there so you've got multiple sources yeah saying the same outcome but one's just much more vocal about their resolution than the others. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because she offers solutions. You have David mm -hmm. who says, there's stuff out there. There's monsters out there. We need to stay in here. And you have her going, yes, there's monsters out there, demons out there. And yeah. we're going to die if you go out there. But I have a solution. Who are you going to listen to? Yeah. The yeah. guy who just complains about it or the person who's going to do something yeah. about it. Mm -hmm. Scary is all hell. Yeah. <laughs> it's... You know, we kind of had this a similar situation happen with, you know, the pandemic and everything. You bet. Yeah. <laughs> like, here's, a, here's something scary happening and you got people downplaying the seriousness of it and, you know, going out and getting killed. And you've got the other side who are like, you know, oh, you know, it's all a conspiracy, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, oh, I'm... Uh, I'm not taking this. I'm not doing that. Blah blah blah. Because they offer solutions that unfortunately aren't those solutions we need right now. Yeah. Because the actual solution, which is to stay put and do nothing, is not appealing <laughs> to them. No shit. Who wants to do that? No yeah. one. No one. <laughs> no one wants to do this, guys. Yeah. Uh, I'm so glad you brought that up because the correlations to how that was handled, and then reading this story, I was like, this is uncomfortable because I feel like we have been doing this recently. <laughs> This was written 40 years ago. I know, y'all. So human nature, um, repetitive as hell. <laughs> it's almost like it doesn't Ugh. matter what we, what new technology and new ways of thinking we surround ourselves with. In the end, we are does it simply matter? human. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, very terrifying to think about when push comes to shove, what are you willing to do or what will you do to figure out what you like? What, what what's next, you know, or what what do I have to do to, to survive? And this is like a very like Lord of the Flies kind of thing too. It's real creepy when you take the structure away and you take the kind of civility boundaries away, what are you left with? And that I think is one of Stephen King's more stellar kind of focal points in a lot of his work is you've got the supernatural, but that you've got it layered on top of just human nature and what happens when shit gets real. <laughs> Some people do better than others. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, yeah, it's pretty wild. And they don't even talk about the monsters all that much, yeah. honestly, honestly, in the, the short story. don't matter. They're just there They just, like, drive the plot yeah. along They're just a there bit. to create the circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, which is very interesting. Well, do you have any final thoughts about the book, or should we jump to the film? Uh, well, since we'll definitely talk about it in the film, what do you think of the ending of the story? Ooh, yes. So, yeah, this is interesting. So the ending is um, David and, and his son, and then, uh, um, is it, uh, what's the gal's name, Amanda? Amanda. Or 
Amanda, and then two other folks go out with them, right? Uh, one more. I th- well, two, a few others go out, but only one survives. Only one survives. Uh, which is, I think, Irene. Irene, um, right. Yeah. So they, like, get out. They finally get to the his car. Some people don't make it. It's pretty rough. But they get to the car, and they're like, all right, we're driving. We're just going to drive. He tries to go save his wife, but there's a big tree that's downed in their driveway, and he doesn't want to get out of the car for obvious reasons, so they've basically kind of accepted she's dead. Mm-hmm. So he has a, a cry about that, and then they move on. <laughs> and then they're just driving and driving and driving, and the way it kind of ends the book is that it's it's like he's basically writing a journal of, like, if anybody finds this, this is what happened. And they don't know if they're going to be saved. And it just literally like, we don't know what's going to happen. We're just going to keep driving until something happens. And there's, and it just ends. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it just literally, you don't know yeah. if they live or die. You don't know how far the mist goes out. It just stops. Yeah. It's they, literally in our yeah. minds, drive off into the mist. And, yeah. And, and are never see seen happens. again. Yeah. Yeah. It's like fade to black. So it's, yeah. Fade to, it, <laughs> fade to white, actually. Good point. Good point. But yeah, it's it's very interesting because it does – it's a very eerie ending because there's no resolution, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of stories you want there to be like everything tied off in a nice little bow so that you get that satisfaction of like, well, at least I know that they died or at least I know that they lived or somebody survives this or you find out what happened. Like, was it the military? What happened? When, what were they doing? You don't get any of that context in the end. It really is just a snapshot and then it stops. And it's it's very different. And I think it's merited, I think, because it's a short story or I guess a novella. Um, so I feel like you can kind of get away with endings like that because it was never meant to be this enormous saga of a thing to find out all the nitty gritty details. It really is just this itty big little work. What, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, it definitely um, has a spooky quality to the ending, kind of like, you know, hearing uh, kind of gives you the feeling you get when you know, you're at night, you just hear like a, yeah, in the like night. a ghost story. Yeah, yeah, a ghost story vibe is kind of what you get with it. Um, you definitely don't know how it ends. Uh, you hope that they make it out of the myth, that mm-hmm. there is an ending to it, but you really you don't, don't think that's how it's happening because, I mean, they've been driving for miles and miles and miles and they've found nothing, no other mm-hmm. survivors, nothing to indicate that there's an end to it or a way to defeat these monsters. Heck, they come across just legs of a monster because yeah, it's so that was huge. Well. They, they can't, can't see, see the its body up in the, up in the sky. Um, mm-hmm. And it just kind of like gives you a defeated feeling that no matter what... Like, not only is there not an end to the mist, but this is the world now. This is the way right. it's going to have to right. be. Right. You don't know how far does it go out? Is it just Maine? Is it the entire globe? Like, mm-hmm. no, you don't know. There's so many unanswered questions and it's mad genius. <laughs> yeah. A little dissatisfying because I did want to have a little more closure. However, <laughs> I appreciate the kind of gravitas that it gives to it because it really is now that I'm thinking about it, that's an excellent way to put it a ghost story is really what it kind of feels like where it's like and they were never seen or heard of again yeah and and, <laughs> and they do like they have a gun and um David oh, does yeah. mention that you know there are four people and three bullets you know if yeah. push comes to shove he knows what he has to do is what is all he says on that figure it out yeah 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 get an idea of how it might end you know <laughs> yeah exactly like they have that kind of little carrot dangle of like well we have a gun but not enough bullets mm-hmm. like, except we for have one our person own solution if it comes yeah to that. yeah that's our plan B if all else fails which is extremely depressing to think about because um, obviously that is not the outcome you want no. But yeah, it's, yeah, it just very spooky, 
Very spooky. I love it. I love it. I love it. As you know, Julie, as everybody has probably figured out by now, we love us some dark, spooky material because it's dark like our souls. Yes. So (laughs) it all fits. (laughs) Ooh, all right. Well, how about we transition into the film then? How about that? (laughs) <laughs> okay <laughs> let's do it yes all right i'm gonna read a little synopsis really quick, and then we'll jump in after a powerful storm damages their main home david drayton pay- played by thomas jane and his young son head into town to gather food and supplies soon afterward a thick fog rolls in and engulfs the town trapping the draytons and others in the grocery store terror mounts as deadly creatures reveal themselves outside but that may n- be nothing compared to the threat within where a zealot played by marcia gay harden calls for a sacrifice expiation expiation <laughs> Yeah. So similar vibe, a lot more doom and gloom around the creatures coming out. Like, I feel like there's a lot more focus on there's something in the mist mm. than the the story kind of alluded to. But all right, we're in it. The film. We liked it more than the book by a smidge. By a smidge. We'll talk about the ending. I'm not there yet. You yes. guys just wait. Oh, Lordy Pence. That will be in the comparison for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, that is the biggest pivotal moment, and I'm going to just keep putting that little teaser out. But besides the ending, what about the film kind of drew you in to kind of appreciate it in comparison to the book? Um, I would probably say a lot of it has to do with, like, the individual actors that they picked for the mm. roles. Um, everyone was picked very well. Um, yeah. With uh, Thomas Jane of uh, Punisher and The Expanse fame. Um, oh. Yes. You kind of can see throughout the movie that he is a guy who is just trying to hold his shit together for the sake yeah. of everyone else. and Especially his son. Especially yeah. his son. Yeah. You see in like little moments when he's by himself or when the camera just focuses on him in extreme situations of how close he is to just like... Losing his shit. Losing his shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's holding it together and losing it in, in various yeah. moments. Um but, you know, how quickly he, like, gathers it all up and just, like, pushes it down and has just powers through the moments because that's what's needed. Mm-hmm. But at the end, when he's alone, and that's all I'll say as far as the ending goes, mm-hmm. is when he can finally just, like, let go of everything that he's been holding back for, like, the past yep. few days. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. It's brutal. Uh, as the the lovely show Book of Mormon is, just turn it off like a light switch. Uh, turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's... It is very interesting to see the kind of how people deal with stress. And since it is a visual medium, you can see the physical and mental toll that it starts to take on specific characters and how they kind of go into their kind of panic mode or how they go into survival mode and or both or they start to go into kind of zealotry mode. And it is. Yeah, they did a really good job on casting. And I will say hands down. The best actor in the entire film, according to myself, is Marsha Gay Harden, who plays our lovely uh, witch character. And oh my god, yeah, <laughs> I can't, I, I can't imagine anybody else playing her. Like, <laughs> it's so good mm-hmm. and so terrifying. Yeah. <sighs> oh my god, she. I, it's just it's so interesting to see the characters that she plays because sometimes they're like beautiful, warm, loving characters. Sometimes it's like a businesswoman. And so she's like really fiery and spicy, but hard, you know. And then this is such a polar opposite of any role that I've ever seen her play where she is just unhinged. Yeah. And oh, so good. 
I so good. I saw a uh, a snippet about this movie where she initially wanted to turn the project down because she doesn't do horror movies, but Ooh. the director asked her to consider it as like you know a character piece instead of just Absolutely. a horror movie. And yeah, you can definitely see that in her performance. Because she is, like, the cult leader in the store. Yep. She is the witch amongst the flock. Just mm-hmm. trying to share the truth as she sees it and prepare everyone for what they must do. And mm-hmm. unlike in the book, they do you do see what they are truly capable of in the movie. Yes. Yes. Uh, we, we get some extra characters that aren't in the book. Uh, in this case, yeah. we have um, so, some more military people involved. Yeah, three of them. Yep. And you find out that, yes, this this miss does have to do with, like, you know, the military project they were doing up in the mountains that no one knows anything about. But, like, they were just trying to create a window into another dimension. And they did it in the middle of a thunderstorm and sideways. the window broke. And now yeah. things have coming are coming through. But... When they find that out from, like, you know, the one surviving military person, you know, one was eaten by monsters and two um, committed suicide. They also committed suicide in the book. We didn't touch on that. But. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They go to him for answers and he kind of, he he explains like, look, I'm a local. You guys all know me. I I, grew up here. I grew up here. I just like literally got done with boot camp. So I've had nothing to do with what's going on up there. I myself have only heard rumors. But here's what I heard, and once he tells them what he's heard, they blame him because he's the closest thing they've got. He's the face of what yeah. they have, yeah. And, my God, the butcher, who we talked about in the book, uh, yeah, comes forward and just stabs him repeatedly him. in the gut yeah. over and over oh. again. And then they all, like, uh, raise him up and push him out of the store. They crowd surf him out of the store. It, and he's screaming and bloody, and it's Awful. And he's like holding on to the door. He does not want to get thrown out. And they just chuck him out and close the doors. And they all stand there and watch as monsters come and eat him alive. Yeah. And I mean, he's like begging and bleeding out and crying and blubbering for them to let him back in. Mm-hmm. And it's god awful. Yeah. It is one of the most <laughs> horrific scenes, I think, in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really, I think, personally, a very good addition because it's so terrifying so that i mean and that's really the driving point for um drayton and the rest of his crew be like okay we have to leave now yeah <laughs> like, it's We've only a matter of time before it's us what these people are capable of we need to yeah. go yesterday <laughs> okay bye yeah. yeah it's absolutely terrifying and the guy who plays that um that officer is the actor sam Whitwer, and he's if you don't know who he is, you probably do and didn't know it because he's in a lot of TV shows and he's got a face that is very rememberable. He's very like angular and very like his, his face is hard to describe. Yeah. But I think he did <laughs> one a of very a kind. good job. Yeah, it really is one of a kind. Uh, really good job for having such a small role, but a very memorable one um, and a very horrific ending for him. But yeah, it's woof. Mm-hmm. Woof. Yeah, like I'd only seen this movie once because it's a kind of movie you only need to see once to have it stick with you uh, yeah and he is one of the characters that i remembered the most more than like almost any oh other my character yeah and yeah he, he definitely brings it home like you think oh yeah stephen king horror movie you know you might think of like classic like tv made for tv ones he does where it's like oh yeah whatever mm. great acting blah 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 it's like no 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 
This movie was directed by the same guy who directed uh, The Green Mile and Shawshank Redemption. This guy knows how to do Stephen King justice. And he Mm -hmm. knows how to pick the right actors to bring that out. And so everyone Mm -hmm. here is like spot on in their portrayals uh, of the book. And for even the new ones, they just bring the house down as far as uh, what they're needed to do. So yeah. Like there was, yeah. there was him, the military guy. There was his ki- kind of hinted at girlfriend, uh, who worked. Yeah, as that's a Alexa cashier. Davalos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, she uh, was mainly used as a way to show what the bugs are capable of as they God. break into the store. Like one yeah. stings her in the face, and she like very quickly like is poisoned and dies from it, and just like perfectly swells oh, she up. She bloats and, yeah. and swells, and it is crazy good makeup and really disturbing and mm-hmm. it it's fast that's what's so scary is like it looks like almost like a big fly like dragonfly and mosquito all kind of mashed into one i mean the bugs and the, the monsters in the film were pretty cool um a little dated on the cg but very cool depiction from the book seeing as it didn't really focus too much on them but mm-hmm. they pulled pretty cool aspects out but yeah that scene was brutal as well where she literally just it elephant man's and her her throat just like gets humongous and it's like oh the makeup was so great it was so great it was blue and like veiny and pustuly oh it was yeah. so good but one of the, <laughs> really good one of the most important aspects of that scene besides showing what the bugs can do is she had been one of the most vocal opponents to uh, mrs carmody yeah and she dies but a bug comes in and lands on mrs carmody but does mm-hmm. not sting her yeah, she survived, yeah, so which you, is unfortunate. <laughs> so you can take that as kind of a clue that maybe this is, quote unquote, God's wrath and she's a chosen prophet of him. You could say, like, you know, it is a bug. She was just real lucky. And she just followed, like, you know, wasp rules of, like, don't fuck with the bug and won't fuck with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> who knows? But for the people in the store, it matters that it stung someone. It's the visual. Who was against her but did not kill her when it had the chance. Yeah. Like, that is a powerful uh, moment to anyone who might be, like, terrified out of their minds and is looking for answers. Like, that or on the fence, is a strong yeah. indicator if you're willing to, you know, if you're desperate for something like that. To believe, yeah. yeah. Well, and the visual they put in the film, too, was very, like, a kind of a religious experience, too. Like, the bug lands on her chest and she sticks her arm straight out. So it's, like, a very, like, crucifix-looking position that they put her in. Mm-hmm. And then the bug lands on her crawls and then starts to hover like jumps off hovers in front of her and its wings kind of blow her hair back and she has this kind of like elated face like it is a very kind of weirdly spiritualistic moment for her and so i can see like that visual from somebody who's looking at this could be like oh my god it is a sign from god like she's untouchable Mm -hmm. you know like it's it's very interesting imagery. Yeah. So um, yeah. So taken alone in the movies uh, or in the sh- um, story, it can be those things. Taken in the grander scheme of the Stephen King universe, a line she has in the movie is "My life for you," which is a line often said by other like villainous characters to a big bad villainous character known as like Randall Flagg in The Stand Ooh, or the Man yeah. in Black in The Dark Tower um, and a uh-huh. few other names throughout. And so it could be an indicator that she may be one of his quote-unquote prophets. These demons might be of his making, and she is protected. Yeah. Ooh, very interesting. Ooh, I didn't even think of that, Julie. 
Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. Um, yeah, it, and then there's a lot of other kind of visuals throughout the film that I'm thinking again, kind of of the alien or not the aliens, the the monsters that they did a really good job of making it real creepy mm-hmm. from pretty limited descriptions. Like I'm thinking the, the, a specific scene is the tentacle scene where they have to go and fix the generator. So it's um, the two guys. Uh, the bag boy, and then David Draper, and then Ollie, right? Who's played by da- Toby Jones. Toby Jones. Yes, yeah, David Drayton is his name. Uh, oh, David Drayton, yeah, yeah. not Draper. That's uh, Madman. <laughs> Madman. Never mind. Sorry, yeah. Drayton. Yeah. So they all go into the the kind of garage to try and figure out the generator. They're like, oh, something's blocking it. The vents on the outside. So then the bag boy's like, oh, I'll go outside and, and unblock it. And they're like, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Um, and then shit gets real. But the the tentacles that they made are like they just look like kind of octopus purpley tentacles. But then they expand out and have like talon teeth. And then they like rip skin and muscle tissue off of the bag boy. And it's horrific mm-hmm. and way creepier than I think the book was yeah. like ooh, crazy visuals. They did a very cool job with that, I think. Apparently, they used the same CGI studio as um, the Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, <gasps> did they really? Mm-hmm. Yep, David, uh, not David Drayton, uh, the uh, director, uh, Frank Darabont, he asked Guillermo del Toro for his recommendation <gasps> on CGI studios, and he recommended them. A plus. That's why it looks so good, because yep. Guillermo del Toro is a master of horror and the visual, and oh, yes. Okay, that checks out that's awesome i did not know that mm-hmm. uh yeah they did a really good job and it was creepy as all hell and i'm trying to think if there's like any other oh the spiders oh lordy pants the spiders were pretty gross i didn't like that they had like human skull faces yeah the spiders and the uh the bugs all had like kind of like yeah. human-esque but not quite faces like they all had two eyes and like teeth set in skulls that had similar shapes what? But yeah. we're very different, Mm-mm. which is kind of like leads to an uncanny valley level of creepiness to it. Uh-huh. Yep. And they were way too big. Yes. Way too big. I can't take all of them. Mm-mm. Nope, nope, nope. Yeah. And the spiders had like that crazy acid, like silk thread mm-hmm. and yeah, woofta. Yeah. That was pretty heebie-jeebies. And, and again, like all the kind of monster scenes were so much... There's just so much more going on, especially like the, the spiders are in like the pharmacy scene where they try and go and get medicine because they've got a third degree burn victim because he got set on fire. Uh, yeah, that was rough, too. That didn't happen in the book. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, there's just so many extra layers of things like they almost set the store on fire. The the gal, the cashier gal gets stung and dies very quickly. And then they have, um, which was in the book, they have the two guys who commit suicide who are the military guys because they couldn't take it anymore. And then there's a lot more that happens in the pharmacy. Like the MP, the uh, military police guy who you see in the beginning is literally a cocoon and he's still alive and bursts into baby spike. Yeah. yeah, it's. There's a lot of gore. It's not even gore, though. It's just, like, body horror. Mm -hmm. Um, It's stellar, though. Yeah. It's really, really solid. They did a good job. Very well done. Oh, man alive. (sighs) I just love it. I love it so much. Also, I was going to set side note. um, I think my second favorite character actually was Ollie, who was played by Toby Jones, because... Mm -hmm. He's also a kind of a chameleon of actors. There's so many things. Like the the most thing, the most recent thing that comes to mind for him is when he was in one of the Sherlock episodes, 
Oh, yeah, yeah, Do you remember yeah. him in that? Mm-hmm. And yeah. And he... Third or fourth season? Yeah, I think it was third season where he's, like, he just keeps murdering people and he keeps trying to make people... Like, he keeps giving confessions, like, I keep murdering people and I need to be stopped. But he's, like, a billionaire. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Crazy. And he's also in, like, Night's Tale. Like, random stuff that you see him in. And it's, like, it's great, yeah. great acting for him. It's just good, good casting. Yeah, and his his character is like you know one for one like in the book. He's just like this very unassuming man. Like his last name is Weeks. You know, it's like yeah, <laughs> doesn't really lend to a character of strength with that kind of name. But he seems to be like the most stable, the most put together. Um, it has a steady shot. Like he knows how to use a gun. Uh huh. And it's just you you can depend on him to not just go batshit crazy like like i said yeah. uh, david drayton uh played by thomas jane he he's a man who's holding his shit together but he looks like he's holding his shit he's together losing. you know yeah. <laughs> like yeah des- absolutely the desperation uh ollie weeks you can kind of see like him getting like you know sweating and stressed out but he looks like he's got a pretty good hold on things like he you can he's dependable to get his shit done Mm-hmm. It's very sad that he does not make it to the car at the end. He doesn't make it. Yeah. He's so close. He's so close. Mm-hmm. I know that was really gut-wrenching. But um, I think my, the the most epic part with Ollie's character is um, yes, <laughs> when we find out he's a good shot. Mm-hmm. So when do we find out he's a good shot, Julie? I mean, he's shooting <laughs> monsters and whatnot. But I mean, he he's turned out monsters, he's a yeah. terrific shot as uh, Mrs. Carmody is shouting to kill the boy and the whore, too. Ollie sure, steps her. in and shoots her. Dead in the forehead. Dead in the forehead. The yeah, just no room for uh, saving at that point. Like, she needs yep. to be taken out. And she's like, yep. I wouldn't have done it. Like, you know, he was, he did not want to have to kill anybody. Right. And he was like, I, di- I didn't want to have to do it. Uh, David Drayton at first had said, thank you. And Ollie goes, I didn't want to do it. He goes, that's why I said thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You did. You did the dirty work because nobody wanted to do it, but everybody wanted it to happen. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It, it and that scene too is so crazy because he shoots her. Like she's trying to stop them from leaving, trying to get the boy and and uh, Amanda's character, and then. And at this point, we've seen what they can do. They murdered the military guy. Yes. So that's already happened. They're mm-hmm. like, we're out. So they're trying yeah. to get out and sneak away we, early. We know in what's the morning. at stake. Unlike in the movie, yeah. oh, unlike in the book, where there was no, you know, other murder. You didn't know. Yeah. We didn't know if they would truly go this far. Yeah, it was much more of a Hitchcock vibe of like the potential was there and you were just kind of waiting for it to happen. Whereas in the film, they flat up like, here is what happens. Let me show you in great detail. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he shoots her in the head and then they're like, anybody else got objections? We're leaving. Bye. And so as they're on the way out, there's like that one gal who I think was like the very first zealot that they show in the film to follow her. She's like, you killed her you murderers it's like you were just gonna murder a child and a random woman like how how are you the one that's like you murdered her it's like you were gonna do it first you crazy kid like it's just crazy that's also a pretty good indicator that just because mrs carmody was dead does not mean the danger was gone right because like they were all stunned to two stunned for now for now but if they had stayed oh yeah no they would have followed been a riot and without their leader I think they would all like eventually turn on each other. Right. Yeah. Right. You don't have that unifier. So then do they? Yeah, that's that's kind of the ultimate question is like, do they turn on each other? Mm-hmm. You don't know. And that's something they don't really ever answer mm-hmm. in the film, which is, I think, also 
a lot creepier. They don't answer it in the book either, but the escalation didn't get to the same place in the book. So it it wasn't quite the same. As we found out an hour before this podcast, they had an idea for how that would turn out. <gasps> yeah, <laughs> let's talk about well, that. We wanna, Julie, you shared some tidbits. Do we want to talk mm. about the ending first? <gasps> Are we there? Are we there? We're going to talk. I think we're there. I think we're basically in comparison because there was a lot of things that they kept really close to the film and the book, but there were some drastic differences and the ending was by far the biggest one. So, yeah, I think I think we're there. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it. So how does the the film end, Julie? Well, the film ends. uh, The director, who was also the screenwriter, says he got the idea from the Stephen King story itself, where uh, Mm -hmm. David mentions that, you know, there's four people. And they've got three bullets. So what happens as they're driving out there in the mist, going down the roads and the streets and seeing all this destruction and no other survivors? And they do in the in the movie manage to make it back to their house and see his dead wife. She's all cocooned yeah, up. She did. She did. Yeah. It's much more definitive. Yeah. But I mean, what happens at, when your car runs out of gas? Yeah. Yeah. D- didn't get that addressed in the book mm-hmm. at all there was no mention of like we might run out of gas but who knows they do run out of gas they do in the film. run out of gas and oh, God. earlier yeah. in the store the um son begs his dad please don't let the monsters get me no matter what never let you save me from the monsters uh, and before, as they're sitting yeah. in the car he looks inside the gun and, he, and there's like five people in the car three uh, four adults and the boy he looks in the gun he sees there's four bullets yeah. And they, all the adults are just staring at it. The boy's asleep. And they ask, she goes, what about you? And he goes, I'll, I'll figure something out for myself. I'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And the boy starts to wake up <sighs> and looks at his dad. And that's all we get before we cut to outside of the car and hear gunshots. And you see flash and bang. Yeah. Four times. David kills his son, Amanda, and the other two survivors. <laughs> and that's when we finally see him lose his shit like he's just like oh he comes unglued primal dude. screaming like, in the car uh just like and as yeah. i would be too if i had to do oh that oh my god i'd be hysterical yeah. uh, i would be hysterical yeah. um yeah it's like i did oh my god it's like i did not want to even think about you know being in i know situation i like, know it's very upsetting. upsetting yeah uh upsetting but that's not the most upsetting part it doesn't stop there julie it doesn't stop there <laughs> he, no friends we got more what happens know, after be- that? before <laughs> they before he killed everybody like they're sitting in the car and they hear monsters out in the distance like they can hear them yeah. they are coming. coming and so he mm-hmm. gets out of the car and he's screaming at them come get me like you know just like please kill please me please kill me yeah and we see something kind of like coming in the distance, and what comes through, Aaron? A fucking military truck. <laughs> no, it's trucks and tanks and a whole bunch of people in hazmats and flamethrowers. Flamethrowers and, and they're trucks burning of everything. Survivors, survivors, yeah. and the mist is going away mm-hmm. as they're coming in. And so then, yeah, yeah. So he's standing there with his whole like dead posse in the car, and then help arrives literally a minute away a minute after this happened oh my god julie i was screaming at the tv when i first saw this Uh, i was like no 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 it's so brutal and so gut-wrenching and fun fact uh stephen king wishes he'd ended the book that way that's how much he liked the end he's like man i could have written that i should have written that he kind of did because like i said the uh, director got the idea from the book where he said there's four people and got three bullets 
There's a But he never wrote it. Yeah. But I mean to impress Stephen King with an ending that mm. he wishes he'd written, yeah. damn. Yeah. <laughs> it's the kind of ending that just like makes you want to go ah! <laughs> I know. Oh my god. My heart it was very upsetting. Yeah. It absolute just had he waited, literally waited, just moments, but two more minutes, but at, two you know, more minutes in the moment because we we feel that like if you had just waited, but because I know, we but know, how would you know? You wouldn't know because, yeah. like I said, you could hear monsters in the distance. I know they it, are coming. Imminent death. There is no gas. You promised your son you would not let the monsters get him. I know, I know, and you feel like you're you're giving these people who you've come to know and appreciate you're giving them the respectable way out yeah you're not letting them like, get torn to shreds right you are not giving them a horrible gruesome death you are saving them from that especially his son it's like oh my jesus it is oh julie God. uh yeah the most upsetting ending into a movie i think i've ever seen mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> but so good and in a horrible way you know another thing that uh, i'd seen about the ending was that you know mrs carmody you know with the bug and everything might have been like you know a prophet of whatnot and she's calling oh, for yeah yeah she's calling for the sacrifice of the boy and the, the whore Mo- and moments after he kills them the mist is going away and we were talking about this in a way that, like we don't understand why the mist is going away like sure military is there and whatnot but why is the mist but going why away? isn't it still there could yeah be it. maybe that was oh it my God. maybe she was a true prophet oh man wouldn't that be twisted right? oh would that just be the worst uh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and just to think of like the twisted fate of like it couldn't be Miss Carmody that had it happen or isn't the one that did it herself or had others do it for her. It had to be David. It had to be him to do it, and it's like the ultimate sacrifice mm-hmm. to kill your your child and people that you care about. And it's like, oh my sweet Jesus, <sighs> yeah, wow, wow. Yeah. Just what kind of enemy that just like tickles your brain meats <laughs> is what it is. I- <laughs> The brain meats yeah. are tickled thoroughly. Yeah, so like someone's uh, in there just going, woof. <laughs> yeah. Let's think about this and get even more depressed. Yeah. Uh, it's just unreal mm. ending. Unreal. But the thing we found mm. out an hour before this, uh, before it was oh, yeah. is that <laughs> the director originally wanted one of the caravans of survivors to be people from the grocery store. Oh, my God. That would have just been the ultimate, like, just stab that knife a little bit deeper yeah. into the heart. I kind of wish they'd kept that in. But even even without it, it was still pretty oh, yeah, good. No, it enough by itself. They didn't need it, but that would have just been, oh, you, you, you don't have enough? Do you want a cherry on top of that, like, third degree burn you're feeling right now? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that would have been brutal. Yeah. To be like, not only did he lose everything when he didn't have to, if he had just stayed at the marketplace, it would have been fine. But would it have been, Aaron? They were. But what? But maybe they were calling yeah, maybe they would have died murderer. anyway. Yeah, it's like it was a. Uh, that's a good question. It was actually. a no-win situation. Every option was the wrong was option. Bad. Yeah, like yeah. there is no good option. That's in a good this. point. Yeah, it was Holy a literal Moses. no-win scenario. Yeah. So, you know, really light, light film. Yeah. Really fun to watch with all your friends and family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't think Robert's forgiven us for showing this to I know. <laughs> Yeah, we watched it with with Julie's husband, Robert, and he's like, oh, I have seen this. And then we were watching it. And we think we got like a third of the way. And he's like, I don't, I don't 
don't think I've seen this. And I was like, you haven't seen this? And I'm like, oh my God, Robert. Oh my God, I'm so sorry in advance because we thought he'd seen it. He just didn't remember. But he's like, no, I don't. And then we found out he'd mixed it up with a different movie. The Fog, Fog, which is so close, but nothing alike. (laughs) Oh, I did feel very bad because we're like, "Uh uh-oh, he doesn't even know when he signed on for it. Oh, yeah. Robert may never forget, forgive us for that. I don't think Keith has really ever forgiven us for that either because we saw that in college. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I still hate it. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, and there was a, another random factoid. You learned like the flamethrowers they're using at the end. You said they like <laughs> yeah. made that out of random stuff at Home Depot yeah. or something. So like they see like uh, super solid you know, army men like <laughs> shooting flamethrowers at like, you know, bug like the carcasses of people that the spiders have done so they're throwing flamethrowers at them they made those flamethrowers with materials from home depot which the director thought was just terrifying super safe (laughs) super super safe sounds legit (laughs) i don't want to hear that la 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 yeah Yeah. oh my god that ending was just uh, yeah it i mean I was screaming at the TV when we were first watching it. And then after the film actually ended, I was just, we just sat there in stunned silence. (laughs) Oh my God. That was, yeah. I I mean, I, as horrible as that experience was, I couldn't have asked for a better ending to to be honest. It was horrible. You know, it's the stuff that might give you nightmares. You just like Mm -hmm. have to rest and think on that ending for like a good half an hour afterwards. But I know. that's the that's the difference between like, you know, a good ending to a story and like a happy ending. A good ending yeah. does not have to be happy. It just has to be right. whatever makes you think and leaves you with like whatever makes you question anything at the end of the day is what yeah. a good ending is. And this is a good ending. It's horrifying. Like I said, tickles the brain meats because it just feels I- like someone's <laughs> running their fingers over your brain as you're thinking about this. It hurts. <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> uh, oh, no, it is like the, the best ending because it's just like layers of what the fuck one right after I know. the other yeah. in the last five minutes of the movie. I know because you, you think, OK, they run out of gas. You're like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. I know where this is going yeah. because they'd already talked about the gun and how they didn't have enough bullets. They already alluded to that before. And then they get stuck and then you hear the monsters. You're like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And you're just – you're waiting. Like, you know it's coming. And you're like, oh, my God, don't do it. Don't do it. And then it happens. You're like, oh, my God, he did it. And you're like, it couldn't possibly get any worse. And then it does. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, just, I think actually watching it the first time was horrible. But then watching it again knowing the ending mm-hmm. Even more was horrible. so much worse. Because yeah. you're just sitting there like, oh, my God. There was like a minute – a minute away mm-hmm. if you just waited. Uh, yeah, I think it is actually brutal more when you see it the second or yeah. if you choose to see it a third time. Because <laughs> just... I think, uh, you know, it's like wow. you dismiss a few of the, the things that happened earlier in the movie that kind of foreshadow what's going to happen. And uh-huh. so, but this time as we're watching uh-huh. it together, every time something comes up to kind of hint at the ending, you and I are just like <gasps> making faces at each no! other. <laughs> like when the, when the son's begging the dad, you know, don't let the monsters get me no matter what. We're just like, <laughs> he won't. He won't. <laughs> I'm crying. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, and that's kind of the beauty of it is once I, I love movies that you can actually go back and rewatch and pick up on the subtleties that are so obvious when you watch it again, but you don't catch it 
like there, it's just not super present when you're first experiencing it. But then stuff like that was like, don't let the monsters get me. You have to promise to never let them get me. And I'm like, oh my God, he, he kept his promise. Like it's just horrible, beautifully well-woven stuff like that. And this this director, Frank Darabont, God, I mean, knowing that he's done other Stephen King work um, and done them well, like if you haven't seen The Green Mile or Shawshank, oh my Lord, they're really good films and also really depressing stories because, you know, Stephen King, why not? But yeah, he, his repertoire of Stephen King has been on the nose every time I've seen it, like stellar. Well, this director has also directed and written a few episodes of The Walking Dead. Oh, yeah, yeah I don't, I'm not surprised by that. Were they good? Well, I actually haven't watched Walking Dead because I have a irrational fear of zombies. Yeah. Uh, so I but I mean, like, actually you've, you've heard show. of The Walking Dead and like, you know, the oh, situations yeah. that it can get up to in regards to like, uh, oh yeah, you know, what the fuck moments. So I feel like, uh huh, this kind of like goes to show his credentials as far as like, what the fuck yeah. moments. Yeah. But yeah, oh God. <laughs> and I've heard like I, I know a lot of spoilers about Walking Dead that definitely it's like there's, a, again, a really nice snapshot of what happens when you strip away societal structure and you're left with just chaos and people just surviving, which is very reminiscent of this. But this is like much more condensed. Um, but yeah, I've heard some crazy stuff in that show and like all the deaths and stuff in that show are pretty wild. So. That just checks one more box that I'm really dig. I really dig his work, mm-hmm. <laughs> and really good casting. Like I can't get over the casting. Like solid, just solid. <sighs> it was a train wreck, Julie, and I loved yep. it. I loved every second of it. I love to hate it. Um, well, did we do it? Did Are we, we there? This is a you short any- I don't know. <laughs> this is. I know this is much shorter than our usual ones, but it was a short story, yep. so I feel it's like. Fine. There, yeah, there wasn't nearly as much to compare. You know, was, like they did a really good job of keeping to yeah, it. Yeah, it was, it was a very faithful adaptation. Um, the changes they made in the film just kind of like added layers, but mm-hmm. did not overall change the structure mm-hmm. until that ending. My until God. Until the freaking yeah. ending. What a dichotomy of ending, mm-hmm. but so good and I I think that's I think that's what impressed me the most is that you take a really solid story you make a really good adaptation and you embellish and still do that story justice because I've seen some adaptations that are really solid until the end and it just goes on this crazy one like complete flip and you're like where the hell did that come Mm. from like you were doing so well up until this point but even with this like he took the original ending and then just expanded it further and in a horrifically depressing way, which got just chef's kiss, chef's kiss. It was so horrendous. Um, I think this is one of the first episodes we've done where like love to hate is absolutely on the nose for like how I felt about this. I hate that ending, but it is so good. But it was so good. (laughs) Absolutely abysmal ending, but so Oh, God. Oh, it just puts all the feels, man. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I think that's short and sweet, you know? I mean, not that I don't love talking to you for two hours, but I think we did yeah, it. I think that's it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Well, uh, 
before we sign off, what are you reading? What are you doing? Tell me what's happening in your life. What are you experiencing? <laughs> well, uh, I'm not reading. Besides babies. Yeah, much of anything right now because baby. <laughs> the baby. Do, the baby's out, y'all. I do not have the uh, time nor mental fortitude to That's uh, fair. <laughs> read right now beyond like, you know, all right, what's my baby up to now <laughs> these days? Uh, watching. I've been watching a bunch of cult documentaries um yes yeah. yes speak to me julie yes there's the uh, okay i'll talk about the one i recommended to you i just have to remind myself what it's Ooh. called a uh, shiny happy people in, yes on yes um, oh my god about specifically the duggar family of 19 and counting fame mm-hmm. but more generally about the uh evangelical christian movement that's been happening uh for the last uh, generation or so in the united states mm-hmm. and uh what that's been looking like and what their uh f- intentions are as far as themselves the doctrine and the country looks goes. like yeah mm-hmm. um so it's a very interesting documentary series i would definitely recommend Woof. anyone interested in cults or religion or just interested about hey what happened to that family since they were everywhere and now they're not uh definitely go uh-huh. watch that Yes. Yeah. Trigger warnings. There is discussion of sexual abuse. There is discussion of sexual trauma. There is a a lot of um, difficult conversations in that show. I will put that out there. So if that is not your cup of tea, I would highly not watch Mm -hmm. it. Uh, But if you are into watching uh, the train wreck that is cult shows Mm -hmm. (laughs) and are fascinated by how depraved people are, it's pretty um, incredible to watch. Unreal. Yeah. It's what, four episodes? Three episodes? Three or four. Yeah, sounds about right. Three or four, yeah. So you could, uh, if you wanted to, you know, do what Julie and I do and binge it in a weekend because we're just <laughs> maniacs. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. Yeah, let me look it up here. I think it's four. I feel like it's yeah, four, four episodes. episodes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, I think they're like roughly an hour each, roughly. Mm-hmm. But holy cow, what what a trippy show that is. Um, Yeah. Didn't realize I needed that in my life to know what happened with them because I barely followed them when they were famous. So that was just wild. And like how involved in politics they were. I mean, oh, y'all, it's crazy. Yeah. Go watch mm-hmm. it. What a crazy show. Excellent recommendation, yeah. Julie. What about you? Thank what you are so you much. Ooh. <gasps> Ooh. Right now, I'll highlight something I'm watching too. I actually just started it today. Mm. Um, it is called The Devil's Hour. Mm. It is a BBC show and it's currently on Amazon. And it is starring, oh, I can't remember her name, but she is the main character in Call the Midwife and then also starring Peter Capaldi. Ooh. Uh, yeah, it's real creepy. Kind of a murder mystery with a little bit of supernatural thrown in. I just started it and I'm like three episodes in and it's pretty cool. Um, Really beautiful cinematography and very spooky, very kind of surrealistic kind of stuff going on. And I also am obsessed with Peter Capaldi. So any of you Doctor Who fans out there who love you, you some Peter Capaldi, it's it's very intriguing, and he's barely been in it, but the parts that he has been in have been super interesting. So I'm like, I need to know what your character is. It's so intriguing. So <laughs> it's pulled me in. It's pretty good. Highly recommend. All right, Miss Julie. Well, thank you so much for talking more dark, depressing stories with Always. me. Always. Always. Pleasure. Forever. <laughs> Our souls are forever dark, and I appreciate yeah. you. <laughs> 
And thank you to our listeners for being depressed for a, a shorter period of time with us. <laughs> I always love and appreciate your uh, your support. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Um, boo. 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 Boo.